When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search. But what if you could get rid of the search and just match? You can with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the World of Work podcast, brought to you by the Aggie Evo System, UC Davis Athletics' one-of-a-kind initiative that focuses on preparing student-athletes for a successful launch into life after graduation. Happy Thursday, Aggie Evo fans. If it's Thursday night, it must be time for the Aggie Evo World of Work Coffee Talk podcast, part of our ongoing effort to help current Aggie student-athletes better know and to be able to navigate the world of work by learning about the various paths that many Aggies have gone on and done, and just generally broadening their exposure to the world of work and their networks. And I could not be more excited for this conversation because it is the first time I've actually had a former Evo intern and member of the UC Davis baseball team who's gone out and also um, carved out a really unique and interesting path for himself. So Connor Lawrence, good to see you again, my friend. Great to see you, Mike. Thanks for having me on. Excited about this. So as you probably know, uh, my first question to most folks is tell me your story. And I know your story pretty well, but assume nobody else has heard of your story. And start wherever you want, finish wherever you want, and I'll pick up the conversational threads where I think they warrant. Awesome. Sounds good. Uh, so I'm born and raised uh, in Danville, California. I'm a Bay Area kid. I went to San Ramon Valley High School there. And then I played baseball, obviously, but I started um, at junior college. So I started at a junior college in Hayward, Chabot. And then from there, I uh, was a walk-on at Davis, um, played there for two years, ended up staying a fifth year um, to finish up some coursework that was just due to transferring and things like that. And that's when I started to really develop my career building skills. Aggie Evo was introduced to me, I think my June, I think it was just starting my junior year, but really started to take off my senior year. Um, and I was uh, infatuated with the, the project, thought it was incredibly useful. And I was working for the um, fellows at the time for alumni and donor relations. And you and I began talking because I had a little bit of a career switch, I want to say. And I wanted to do something a little bit outside of the norm for, for most student athletes at Davis. And I wanted to go work in music business. So you and I started talking about some ways we could do that. And I think that kind of changed my trajectory. Uh, we started working on Eva a little bit more. I helped you do some marketing and some research. And then from there, I uh, graduated and truly the next day I packed up my car and drove cross country to Nashville, Tennessee. And that's where I've been for the last four years, I think. Uh, yeah, almost four years in June. And I 
started to work in music business, came out here not really knowing anybody, but did what they call the Nashville networking, which is just pick up the phone and anybody who would take a coffee or a lunch or whatever it may be, I, I just talked to them. And every conversation I tried to leave with one or two more people uh, who I could talk to. And basically just kind of grew a network from there. Um, was lucky enough to start working for country music television. I was a production assistant for about five, six months, um, working on a couple shows. And then I met some more people and was offered a job at Creative Artist Agency, which is a live music touring company, a global company. Their main office is in LA. Um, they have a Nashville and New York as well as all over the world. So I started working there in music. Uh, I started in the mailroom, which is exactly how it sounds. I was delivering mail to all the agents and, and shipping and dropping off, you know, guitars or packages or whatever that may be to artists around town and kept kind of working at that, you know, developing my skills and my, in my relationships within the company and ended up actually moving on to being an assistant. Um, so I was an assistant in the college music department for a couple months and then the pandemic hit. And that kind of shook up the industry in a whole because, you know, no one's outside, no one's going to concerts or shows. Um, so from there, we kind of shut down and, and I was fortunate enough to stay on. I was the only person in my position um, in the whole U.S. that stayed at Creative Artists Agency. So I got a really interesting opportunity to kind of put my hands in, in everything that we do. So that kind of led me to work in country music. I was working in contemporary pop, rock. Um, you know, Latin, never really, the only genre I never worked in was uh, Christian contemporary music, but I've done it all. Um, and then I kind of, like I was saying, most of my time was spent booking um, college and university shows all across the, uh, the United States, which was a little bit interesting during the pandemic. And if you don't mind me talking about it a little bit, uh, they kind of switched to in-person Zooms and Zoom concerts. So oh, instead really? of the artist, oh, I never yes. heard that before. So instead of the artist coming to like a welcome show or things like that, a lot of the colleges and universities would pay for a Q and A session, or some artists would talk about their songwriting, or they would do like a little live virtual concert for ten, you know, thirty minutes, and the next fifteen was a Q and A, uh, which was really cool and interesting. Um, so I got to kind of experience that and see how that shaped everything. But then through that, I was there for about two years, a little over two years. And then I kind of realized that being in the agency world wasn't something I really wanted to do. You know, I love music and I love the entertainment space, but I just wanted to be a little bit more creative, a little bit more hands on with some of the projects that I was working with. And an opportunity opened up for uh, Music City Baseball, uh, which is the group that's bringing Major League Baseball to Nashville, Tennessee. And so started working here. Originally, I started doing some special projects um, and kind of handling some you know, digital things. I worked on these tops baseball cards that we did with our music advisors. Um, so we had, you know, Luke Combs, Kane Brown, Darius Rucker, uh, Mitchell Tenpenny, Brett Young, and a variety of other uh, artists that we used to kind of, you know, as our quote unquote team while we're still building a team. And so I kind of led that project, grew it into something. And then from there, um, took out, like I was saying, took over our digital marketing and media and some of our strategy and kind of built a fan base um, with what we have. Uh, we're right around 75,000 fans in total. And I think we, when I started, we were right around 30. So I've kind of uh, figured out that, learned it from a different approach. And then from there, I'm now working in our business development strategic partnership. So I handle 
everything from corporate real estate finance to entertainment um, and just kind of putting all these pieces together as as we work towards bringing our objective uh, of bringing expansion franchise to Nashville, Tennessee. So it's kind of a long-winded story. Oh, no, that was uh, awesome. Kind of a basic overview of everything. Yeah, many, many threads to, uh, to tug on there. But first, I, I don't know, for those of us that don't know baseball really well, where is the status of uh, bringing a team to Nashville? What does that mean? What level? How far away is it? Is it going to happen? Update us on that. So um, right now, the Major League Baseball is wanting to expand to 32 teams. Currently, we're at 30. However, there can be no public uh, kind of acknowledgement or, or contract signing from the commissioner's office until Tampa Bay Rays and the Oakland Athletics resolve their facility issues. So it's not as much. I mean, with the Oakland A's, there's a little bit more of a team dynamic in there and figuring out players and payroll. But it's more so just getting these facilities suitable to be, you know, play and have to have a, a, a revenue generation uh, generating, excuse me, stadium. Um, Tampa Bay has made progress with their city on um, redeveloping their park, but Oakland is still going through a few different options. It's starting to look like they might move to Las Vegas. So that's kind of where we sit on just the idea of MLB expanding in general, but as it relates to the national stars. So this is our fourth year um, working on this project. It started out uh, with our managing director coming to the market, to try to identify a few different sites where MLB could either relocate or expand to. And as time has gone on, the Nashville market itself has become so hot. It is a, a fantastic place for tourism, um, for real estate, for, I mean, I think it's something like 200,000 people travel through here every month or so. It's it's pretty wild to say the least. Um, but this kind of market has proven to be incredibly valued to MLB because they see that a team can come in here and instantly generate revenue. But the unique thing about us and some of the things that I'm working on is creating a world-class entertainment district and venue that's not just baseball. Uh, baseball only plays in that stadium 81 days out of the year, a couple more if you're lucky and you're making it into the playoffs. but Every other day, there needs to be something going on that's, you know, generating revenue, generating fans. And so we're looking at taking a, you know, unique approach and bringing a residency style model for concerts to Nashville and being able to use that to flex from, you know, down to 10,000 up to 60,000, a variety of dates, a variety of artists, and kind of make this a, a 365 fully operating facility. So timeline-wise, we are looking to get under construction in the next year or so, and then hopefully be able to get the minor league system in place by 2026. And then eventually our timeline is 2027 for MLB first pitch. That's pretty extraordinary. And it would be, unless I'm mistaken, the first major league stadium designed to be multi-purpose. So you would design it from the ground up to be both a concert venue and a baseball venue. There's a few concert or excuse me, a few ballparks that are built to have that multi-flex, but ours would be the first one that's specifically built with an artist vision in mind. So like Globe Life in um, Arlington is a perfect example. Uh, the folks that built that there, Jack Hill, he built it so you can have concerts all the time. The sound has really, the sound in the stadium is amazing. The load in and load out. So underneath the stadium, you can fit seven semis to just back in, back out and kind of take off, make it easy. 
um, the mound retracts underneath the, the ground, which is pretty cool. So there's wow. little pieces, you know, in there that are beneficial for stadiums, but ours would be the first focused from an artist's perspective where baseball is a very, very small part and more so focused on the entertainment game day or non-game day activities. Cool. And to be clear, this is being driven by MLB. It's not a private investor with money who's just trying to get MLB on board. So we are private investor funded right now, but we are working closely with MLB. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Well, that's awesome. So uh, I will say up front that I feel like I I was the least useful for you of any student athlete <laughs> I've had at Davis because you wanted to go East. You were interested in music. I had zero connections. I, I was not helpful at all. So your success at this point is uh, I'm or either because I completely failed or validation of the model of teaching you how to do the things that you've done extraordinarily well. And if, and if we can take any credit for it, um, it's just that you you understand the value of networking and you executed it perfectly. And now you're at this really cool intersection of your two passions, music and baseball, which if we'd sat in my office four years ago and said, yeah, we're going to find a job for you working in baseball in the music capital of the world, we have to work with entertainment artists. From what I remember, you would have said, yeah, that'd be really awesome. But I could not have drawn the path to get you there. So um, I, I don't think I could have either. No, but I mean, I, I tip my hat to you and Evo. And, you know, I specifically remember, uh, you know, coming into your office and being like, hey, Mike, like, I want to work in music. I don't know what that means. I love the business of it and I want to figure it out. And you're like, that sounds great, but you're also an ag econ major. So how are we going to kind of work this out? And I was fortunate enough um, to be able to stay during my fifth year to pick up some extra classes. And I got into a second emphasis in my degree and business economics as well, which, you know, helps a lot in what I'm doing. But sure. to your point is you taught me and the Evo system taught me, you know, the power of networking. And it's not always, you know, that one connection you're going to make that's going to benefit you. It's, you know, I, I think it's the power of thirds is what I remember. I read that in a book. It's your third connection is your best connection. And um, I've always used that because every single person I met with when I moved to Nashville, I always ended the conversation with like, who else do you think I should meet? Who else do you think would be beneficial and kind of teach me that? And from there, it just kind of built and grew. And um, I was able to, you know, like I was saying, find myself in a very fortunate position to where I am. But I mean, I don't think I would have gotten that where you kind of hadn't pushed me outside of my comfort zone a little bit um, in the sense of, hey, you're going to take this Evo marketing project and go interview athletes, interview faculty, interview all these people to where I was like, okay, well, I guess I kind of have to take that step. And yeah, I know it's funny to phrase it this way, but almost learn how to talk and learn how to have these conversations that aren't always so like, you know, sports oriented as I was, you know, my entire life It's Hey, practice is here. You got a game there. It's more so how do we build this? How do we kind of generate you know, a relationship from everything? Well, you're very kind, but um, it is all uh, thanks to you and your your entrepreneurial drive and willingness to stretch a little bit. It clearly paid off. Um, this is a totally non-related question. The only thing I know about the agency business is from Entourage. So, <laughs> Exactly. That's a your, perfect example. Your and experience in the mailroom was. was basically that, working in the agency for crazy people. and I was Lloyd. It's a great way to describe <laughs> I, it. I didn't want to say you were Lloyd, but it sounded like you might have been mm -hmm. Lloyd, which would be cool but it was also... I don't know. Weird. It was amazing. It was hard um, because there was so much pressure and expectation and everything that I had to do. But also, I am so grateful for that opportunity because I learned timelines. I learned efficiency. I learned how to follow up. 
And a lot of the times the, the tasks I was given, it wasn't any help. It was like, hey, I need you to get this done. Yeah. And I was like, all right, well, I guess I'm going to have to figure out how to get it done. And, you know, it's proven beneficial time again, not just in work, but in my personal life as well. So I'm very grateful for, for the opportunity that I had at Creative Artist Agency. That's well said and a good segue to the uh, inevitable question. What about being a Division One baseball player prepped you for real life? Uh, obviously, you've had to develop a lot of additional skills and competencies mm -hmm. since you graduated. If you had to point to one or two things uh, that were athlete skills that you can look back now and go, okay, that really transferred well. Is there anything you'd highlight? Yeah, definitely. You know, and more so baseball specific was just the ability to deal with failure. Baseball is a very unique sport where you're oftentimes not judged by your successes, but how many times you fail. So if I fail just a little bit less than you, I'll be in the Hall of Fame. It's just a very weird sport. So I've learned kind of how to not not view everything negatively, but how to build from there. And especially being a pitcher where I'm I was involved in every single play. Um, it was adjusting, adapting, knowing, hey, if something goes wrong, if a guy gets on base, if there's a hit, no matter what it may be, there's always something that I can control next and to really kind of drive that home. But also just as an athlete in general, the the discipline and the structure was amazing. You know, I've always had that. And that's something I always keep in my life to this day is, you know, knowing what I have to do and being able to control that um, and just setting myself up for, for success. I mean, you know, the drive, the competition are all innate things that athletes have that I think transfer over incredibly well into the working world. Uh, that's well said. I think the growth mindset piece of being an athlete is really important, but you're right. There are no sports where failure happens so often and where you have to just get back up all the time and not get too down on yourself. Um, I don't think I've actually interviewed somebody, or I can't remember any off the top of my head. It was a junior college transfer. Tell me a little bit about what it was like in terms of both the, the athlete piece and the academic piece of transferring into Davis as a junior. It was pretty interesting. You know, I didn't know what to expect. Um, I actually tried to get into Davis out of high school, uh, but I just, you know, couldn't get in. The baseball thing didn't work out. So I ended up going and playing junior college ball. But the only thing that I kind of knew is, you know, was that when I was talking to my coaches, it was like, hey, you know, we'll help you get you into school, but it's a walk on. You know, I got to earn my spot. So I didn't really have a full kind of intro. Um, but the academics was a big, that was a big change for me going from, you know, small classrooms. You know, I, I went to class early and spent most of my time playing baseball tour now at Davis. Most of my time is dedicated to my studies. And so it's learning. You know, I remember the first time I walked into one of my classes with like 300 kids and I was like, all right, this is, uh, this is real. Uh, but it was, it was a blast. And, you know, I think taking the time to really understand the importance of my studies and class and learning how to ask questions and learning the resources that my professors provided with, you know, going to office hours, talking with the TAs, talking in, in the discussion sections and things of that nature are, you know, I wasn't provided that at, at junior college. We just didn't have that. And so being able to come into a large university and also have those kind of personal touches with every class, you know, was very, very helpful in, in getting me to where I am. Tell me about Nashville, because you mm -hmm. were born, I think you were born in Danville. You grew up there. Your yeah. Life. Yeah. But you California had this connection to Nashville is not often that you hear a California kid say, yeah, I want to go to the Southeastern United States. 
when did that interest um, sort of pop into your mind and what drove it, if you have any idea? Well, actually, I was kind of given the option because while I was still in, uh, still in school, my parents moved out to Nashville. Oh, they wanted right. to try something different. Um, they wanted to be closer to my younger sister who was going to University of Kentucky at the time. So they chose Nashville. And I was provided, you know, like I was saying, that opportunity of when I'm done, do I want to stay in California um, or do I want to try something completely different where I knew no one um, and just start all over? And I was like, you know, I'll try Nashville. Why not? You know, and I think that was pretty interesting for me because it opened my eyes to there's so much more of this world that I have yet to explore and kind of really take in. And, and I'm so grateful to be out here. And it, it's been a blast. Um, you know, there's been a couple other kids from Davis who have moved out here. And actually, one of the uh, first connections I made uh, when I got here was through LinkedIn. I found uh, a UC Davis grad really? who worked at another talent agency in town. So I messaged her on LinkedIn. We got together. She helped me set up. I ended up interviewing at her company. Didn't get the interview, but still, it's just one of those random things where it, you know, it just kind of happened. That's also encouraging because I know some Davis and UC people fear that we're not other places, but in fact, they're UC Davis grads everywhere. So it is also still a little weird though to be in some place like Nashville and run into an Aggie because who would have thunk it? Um, it's pretty so, fun. So the path forward, GM mm -hmm. in your future. What do you think? Uh, you know, I, I think about that from time to time, but in honesty, what I think I really want to do when this is all said and done is I want to work more on the, the entertainment side of this project. You know, as we talked earlier about figuring out how residencies and, and these non-game day activities kind of work within this ballpark, that's something that I kind of want to leave. Um, I just really think there's a untapped market where, you can have some creative ideas come in and, and build a partnership, not just between, you know, baseball and fans, but baseball and music. You know, there's a saying that every athlete wants to be a musician and every musician wants to be an athlete. And I think there's a very interesting way where baseball can tie that in um, because there isn't like, I mean, baseball and country music are kind of more so a fit, which is helpful and natural. But also, it's so much more than that. And I'm starting to see and talk with some other people over at MLB about some other ideas that we can kind of bring in. You know, I don't know how aware you are of this last World Series, but they MLB has really taken a, a stride in showing that fans are, you know, there's other celebrities at the game and people are attending and watching where if you go to a basketball game, the people sitting on the courtside seats are, you know, a tons and, and there, you see all these different celebrities but baseball's never had that and so i think there's a unique opportunity to really tie that together and really bring down the demographic of baseball uh, if if you don't know so the current demographic for baseball is a 57 year old male which is pretty outdated and so tying that in along with being in nashville music city i think there's a a spot to where we can bring down the demographic and widen it and really make it much more of a younger family friendly sport to where it's still America's pastime, but it's also a future in this new cultural age we're in. And so there's a lot, a lot to be done. And that's kind of where I want to be more involved in, you know, I, I want to make a little bit more changes to the game for a good way and see if I can kind of shake things up. 
Well, you're making my sport management professor heart super happy because I have a student every year, every year for the 10 years I've been teaching sports management grad students who wants to do a project about baseball. How do we save baseball? What do we do with baseball? And what, what is the, and the problem as I understand it is revenues are actually fine. The owners are still making mm-hmm. tons of money, but attendance is going down. Grassroots participation is going down. Nobody wants to sit for a four hour game. So what do we do to save the thing? So if there's a, a really interesting intersectional opportunity to merge with music and to leverage that, I, I think you're onto something, Connor. And I, I hope that that takes you places. Um, and if you need a uh, an advisor for your sports management graduate project on how you saved Major League Baseball someday, uh, <laughs> tap me in. I'm ready. Absolutely. Okay, I'm running up against a time cap. But uh, last question I usually ask is if you could go back and tell 18-year-old Connor anything based on what you've learned on this uh, remarkable journey you've been on, what would you go back and say? You know, I, I was thinking about that because um, I, I sent over some of the questions and I, I don't know if I have a direct answer. I think one of them honestly would be just that, you know, explore a little bit more. I think one of the things I did when I was 18 was I was pretty focused and, you know, I want to do this. I want to do this. I want to do this. I, I want to play baseball. I, I didn't really know what I wanted to do, but I never really took the time to understand what else is out there. You know, I was always interested in music. I never really kind of pursued that. I was interested in business, never really pursued that. So I think if I was going to go back, I would tell myself to do a little bit more research and and just ask. I mean, that's one thing being here and kind of learning, you know, how the business world works is just the power of of asking. You know, the worst thing that someone can say is say no or not respond to your email. But, you know, if you look at it that way, it's pretty cynical, but also there's a million other people who have similar jobs or have similar roles. So it's, there's always going to be someone to ask. And I think using and leveraging your resources as much as possible is is something that I would have wish I would have done a lot earlier. Well, that is as expected, brilliant. And you are now my official go-to story for how can you find it, follow your passion and go out in the world and find it. Um, you've <laughs> made it happen. That. Connor Lore, business development genius, future Major League Baseball general manager. Um, it has been a pleasure to catch up, my friend, and uh, I hope we can keep the conversation going. Thank you, and I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. And it was a simple plug here, but if anybody wants to learn more about our initiative and our objective, go to starsbaseball.com. Um, team name is the National Stars, and if there's any questions, please feel free to reach out. Starsbaseball.com. We will certainly promote that. That marks the end of this week's Aggie Evo World of Work Coffee Talk Podcasts. Thanks for listening to the World of Work Podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and forward this to a friend. The preceding has been a Learfield IMG College presentation.